Hi everyone, welcome back to the High Point 101 podcast, where we will be gaining an in-depth understanding of what it looks like to be a participating member in the body of Christ here at High Point Church. I'm Jason Horton, the pastoral intern at High Point, and in this episode, Nick Gibson, the lead pastor, Mike Beresford, the executive pastor, and Nicole Kyle, our director of music and worship arts, as well as the women's ministry coordinator here, will be discussing the topics of stewardship, generosity, and the Christian life. Thanks for listening. everyone. My name is Nicole Kyle. I'm a part of the staff team at High Point. I am our worship director and I coordinate the women's ministry. And I am here with our lead pastor, Nick Gibson, and our executive pastor, Mike Beresford. Hello, everyone. Known as Bear. He likes to be called Bear. So we are um, here for part three of the HP 101 podcast series. And um, I'm excited because I get to uh, host this episode and just ask questions and keep the conversation moving along from, unfortunately, three talkers. So we'll try to be succinct as much as we can. Right, guys? Yes. Great. Okay. So we are going to talk today about stewardship and generosity and then also about the Christian life. So why don't we get started with stewardship and generosity? So here is the first question. It's got two parts. What is stewardship and how do we practice stewardship at High Point Church? Why don't I answer the first part and Michael do the second? So Are you going to answer the first part with the Truth Pillars song? (laughs) No, you can. You just sing that a little bit. I think that would be helpful for people. Mm -hmm. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do. Do it all for the glory of God. Is that the stewardship one? Now I'm realizing. I think it is. Uh, Now I'm not. The concept concept of stewardship is that as people who belong to God and are serving him, we own nothing, um, but we're in charge of everything. So like he makes us, it's not, most people behave, even when they're trying to be spiritual people, like they own everything that they have, Right and that God is in charge of their lives. So therefore God takes all the responsibility for your life going good or bad. And you get to use everything that you have, however you feel like. And the reality is that in Christ, it's exactly the opposite. God gives us things, but everything in our life belongs to him. And we are responsible for acting with wisdom and sacrificial generosity to use what we have for the goods God has called us to. And so we, one of the things we believe at high point is that, Redemption in Christ is meant to bring us back to God's original plan for us to take dominion over the earth and fill it and to bring out its flourishing. And so human beings are called back to this work of life and care and work that creates flourishing in God's creation. And we're stewards. We, we own nothing, but we're, he's made us in charge of everything. And that's our calling. So stewardship at High Point isn't just, hey, give a lot of money so that Mike can get that hot tub. It's, yeah, we're generous with our money for all the purposes that, of God. But it's really about using our whole lives, everything God has put in our hands, to serve God for his purposes and his creation. When we talk about stewardship at High Point, we're not just talking about money and checkbooks. We're talking about the gifts that God has given us. And so what do we do with the talent, the time, the passion, the things we enjoy doing, uh, how we serve each other? Those are all part of being a good steward. And so... We want to 
encourage people to use the various gifts. Maybe somebody's a really great teacher or maybe somebody just is energetic and they love people and want to welcome people in as they come on a Sunday morning. Maybe somebody's kind of shy and they want to just work in the kitchen behind an event or get tables ready or help clean up. It takes everything. In every family, people have different things that they do and certain things that they really enjoy doing, but it's all got to get done. And so stewardship is not always about our best thing, but it's always about doing what the family needs. And since the church is a family, we can kind of look at it in those terms. So if somebody is listening to this and they're saying, how can I practice stewardship at high point? Um, There are a couple of things just from a really practical perspective. If you go to highpointchurch.org, and I don't know if it's slash give or what it is, but there are... um, there are links for giving finances, but then there are also links for giving your time. Um, and so I think this gets at this idea that stewardship is is beyond just our finances. It's everything that God has given us, including things that we have, including gifts he's given to us that we are going to use for his kingdom and his glory. We're going to be responsible to use it, but knowing that it's not ours to begin with. So those links would be a good place to start. Is there anything else either of you want to say about how to, how High Point practices stewardship? Yeah, I mean, High Point flourishes when everybody does something productive, spiritually speaking, and uses their gifts, like Mike was saying. Like the Holy Spirit, it's the same Spirit who gives many gifts, right? Um, what that does is it allows High Point Church to be profitable in the sense that we get to serve people outside of the family of God, mm-hmm. right? Just like scripture says that everybody should work so they have something to share with others. If everybody in the church works to build up the life of the church, our church exists in abundance. And that's one of the reasons why our church was able to give away $300,000 last year. I mean, our church probably gave away four thirty, $430,000 last year. If you add in like our local stuff we did plus global missions and everything, it's very rare, but it's partly because at high point we encourage people you have to give money because scripture teaches that money is the main competitor for your heart with God. Mammon is the loving this world and its goods and what those things can do for you is a huge competitor with your heart. And so you have to give financially to try to fight and kill that and to show God his value to you. Right. But we also want to be totally holistic about real stewardship, that there's so many ways to contribute to the kingdom of God, to the family of God, to the productivity of the work of God. And all of those are incredibly dignified, right? And so people who move chairs are doing the same work. And so when everybody works, we have an abundance and we get to give and serve others. And and it's incredibly inspiring and joy-filled. People have no idea how joyful it is. And it keeps us from having a consumeristic mentality that like when we give, we're actually paying for the goods and services. No, you give to God so that we can give away And then you and I do all those goods and services ourselves and serve each other. Mm -hmm. And in so doing, we learn how to love and we get inspired with the thankfulness of being involved in helping other people. Mm -hmm. If we do it the other way around, we're paying for goods and services and we're never quite getting enough when we don't think we're getting a good enough deal and we try to squeeze more out of other people. And it turns into a really disgusting, unhealthy thing. All right. So I'm going to ask each of you a question that – in both of these, Nick, you've sort of ta- touched on them, but just to make sure that we're covering a couple things. So one, Nick, can you give us um, a, just a brief answer to how how does generosity fit with godliness? So the, one of the most fundamental, I mean, the, the beating heart of Christian faith is love. 
as Christ defined it, which specifically is always a gracious or generous sacrifice from one for the good of another, right? It's, Jesus says, the son of man didn't come to be served. He came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. At the heart of the Christian message is this, that the one who had everything gave to those who were spiritually poor. In fact, that's the metaphor Paul uses in 2 Corinthians 8, I think it is, that for we who were spiritually poor, Jesus was spiritually rich, and for our sakes, he became poor so that we might become spiritually rich. That is, we could receive salvation. And, he's like, and, and then Paul relates that to money, and he relates it to everything in the Christian life. He's like, now, and Jesus said to his disciples, like when he gave them, when he like showed them and gave them faith and the ability to heal other people, he said, freely you've received, now freely give. I didn't give you this so you could charge money for it. I didn't, I didn't give it to you so that you could hold it back. I, I give you everything you need so that you can turn around and give to others what they need. And so gener- mm-hmm. generosity is fundamentally built into this whole idea of the gospel and of Christ that like the, all of salvation is about God giving freely what we don't have. And it's supposed to come into our hands and then to be given to others. That's the goal. Mm-hmm. And so therefore everything in Christian faith is about generosity. Our God to us is all about generosity. And every way we serve other people is about generosity. If there's something we could have kept for ourselves, our money, our privacy, our gifting, our whatever, our time. And instead we give it to another for their good and flourishing, right? Right. Hoping that in that God will bring joy as our payment mm-hmm. and, and the experience of thankfulness. So then Mike, can you talk a little bit as it specifically relates to our financial generosity? How does High Point invest financially in both the local community and around the world? Yeah, High Point, we invest both locally and around the world and through people and through direct investment into various ministry things. Locally, um, it seems we have a niche in helping uh, smaller churches and especially smaller minority churches in achieving some of the things that that they're called to achieve. Uh, We're in contact with a lot of uh, pastors and we want to um, help pastors succeed because if the pastor succeeds in their mission, then their church succeeds. And so we've done things in the past, such as help a pastor go from full, uh, part-time to full-time. And over a couple year period, the church grew and the church was able to sustain not only the salary for that pastor, but begin to do things outside of the walls. And so it's, it's been really rewarding to have those conversations and relationships. And then the GMT um, is a group of people that love missions and take care of our missionaries from High Point. Some of our missionaries are stateside. And you might say, well, aren't missionaries foreign? Yes and no. Some of our missionaries uh, work for InterVarsity or for crew or navigators and are on campuses across the United States. Some of our missionaries are uh, reaching people through media in closed countries where they can't actually be in country, but what they produce can be sent into country and is on TV, is on radio. Uh, many of our missionaries do serve in other countries. And so um, a good portion, um, about 14% of what comes into the church through the general fund every Sunday goes to missions. 
And then there's a, another way for people to give directly to uh, missions through a designated fund that's used for emergencies and some things like that. So we're very aware that we're not the only game in town. We're part of something bigger called God's kingdom. And we want to do what we need to do to support that. Um, Nick, I'm going to let you have any last closing thoughts about stewardship and generosity before we move to the Christian life. Yeah, I, I just I think that you know, a lot of Christians will come to High Point from other places, and when they hear the word stewardship, they think financial giving. And that's I just think that's theologically incorrect, and we really want to help people correct that idea. Stewardship is what do you do with everything that's in your hands, right? Everything in your life doesn't belong to you, and you're in charge of it. So stewardship is the management for the good of everything in your life. Every word you say, every relationship that you have, all the health that's in your body, every energy that's in your bones, like everything belongs to God. And that's one of the things we're trying to drive home at discipleship at High Point because Christians just don't feel that like all the way down to their marrow, that everything in their life, their very self belongs to God and they are responsible for it to act and invest it. Right. And then secondly, like, yeah, we want to be, we don't want to be generosity relative to the budget at our church. We want to learn to be increasingly sacrificially generous to give and give and give and to go without things for our pleasure and to kill our love for mammon as a second salvation and a second religion in our life. And so that we can do so much good in the world. And there is so much to invest in. And High Point is a generous church. Um, but I, I know that we can be more generous and we can do more good. And the, and the joy that will come from being part of incredibly beautiful things like will echo in the halls of our church and in our lives for generations to come. And I think I want people to be inspired too, not just theologically corrected, right? And I know that when, we, I know that when you people get there personally, they're so much happier. I mean, the gift of joy that God gives and thankfulness and the story they get to be part of and all of that is just so intense. And people live lives they never thought they could live. Even in, and they're not like big deals. They don't like become CEOs or bankers or something like they're They're still like exactly the ordinary life that they're living, but it's, it's just, it's not ordinary, you know? And so stewardship is, is a place where we don't want to just like raise every single dollar we can and just push and push. Oh, we're going to build the next building and blah, 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 blah. Man, I don't care about any of that stuff. I care about the joy and the freedom and the godliness and the hope that God wants to give his people in the redemption that he wants to work. And there's so much opportunity in Madison. Mm-hmm. All right. We are going to transition now to talking about the Christian life. So um, if you haven't heard this in episodes already in HB 101, um, we talk a lot about the book Substance, which is a book that Nick, you wrote. And so since you are here, I'll have you talk about um, the marks of a substantive Christian. So um, could you briefly describe each of the four marks of substance and I'll, I'll let you explain and name them. Yeah. So we talk about substantive Christian discipleship or Christian faith as opposed to vaporous. You know what I mean? Like that it's it's solid. And um, mm-hmm. so there's, there's a number of ways you could talk about this. But summaries are helpful for people. You know what I mean? And so the, the mm-hmm. four things that I've boiled it down to functionally for us to use are one, substantive discipleship involves living a life of sacrificial love. We sometimes say self-sacrificial love. That's a little redundant, but it focuses on that. I'm going to sacrifice for myself (laughs) and I'm going to sacrifice for the purpose of love. I'm not going to like not eat chocolate just to not enjoy something, right? When I, when I 
sacrifice of doing it out of love for the tr- of doing something for the true good of another person right and my life should be increasingly filled with that and that is really the beating heart in the center of all of it in order to do that i have to secondly have the mind of christ i have to take every thought captive my mind and heart and soul has to be remade to think jesus thoughts after him to engage in faith seeking understanding learning from the, understanding the gospel knowing the bible understanding the will of god right romans 12 1 and 2 is a great summary of that Third is I have to grow morally strong enough to do in love what the mind of Christ demands. And so I have to be filled with the, with virtuous freedom. I have to be filled with the strength of virtue and to be able to walk in the freedom of taking responsibility for my own life. That's stewardship, right? And then fourthly, the Bible teaches that we're, we don't live under the law, right? That, but that our wretchedness, that is our weakness and our sin the only way to overcome that is to live by the spirit that Christ died to take away our condemnation and to free us into what he calls the, being under the law of the spirit, the law of the spirit of life that sets us free from the law of sin and death only by learning to walk in the spirit. And that is like a dynamic thing. It's a little bit mystical. It's a little bit immaterially like it has a mystical feel to it, but the spirit is present in us and works through us and keeping in step with the spirit is fundamental to figuring out how to live improvisationally for Christ in the virtuous freedom informed by the mind of Christ. So our life is marked in and out by self-sacrificial love that looks like Jesus. So those four things make up kind of like how we talk about making sure we're pursuing a substantive discipleship. Mm -hmm. So these are, these are ways, like you said, it's making sure that we're pursuing this, Mm -hmm. But then what would you say is the ultimate goal of the Christian life? These can help us know that we're on our way towards the goal of Christian life. But what is that goal? What are we saved for? Right. I mean, we're, we're to put it most generally, right, we're saved to be heirs of Christ, to be made like the Son of God. So what that would mean is, is that in redemption, the image of God in all of its capacities in us are redeemed and re-enlivened so we could be everything we were ever created to be and live out everything we were created for, right? Which is love in relationship to God, other image bearers as human beings, and all of creation. And that technically is stewardship. So we're made for godliness, that is our in- the internal character of godliness, relationship with God, lo- that is love with God, and then loving service, to all of creation, which is stewardship. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think it's interesting to, to go back to when you, what you were talking about before that a lot of times when people think stewardship, they just think finances, but it, it really is this much larger piece than that. That is what we were saved right. for to steward everything God has given us right. in our lives. It's the ordering of the whole of the image of God in us towards the whole mm-hmm. of everything God created us to be is stewardship. Mm-hmm. Okay, Mike, I've got a question for you now. And again, the broad theme of this is the Christian life. One of the pieces of the Christian life um, is engaging in spiritual disciplines. So what are the roles of the spiritual disciplines? And maybe you could also talk about some of the different sorts of spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines are something that just from the name, we kind of shy away from. We don't like the word discipline. But they're the things that help you grow. And so in your physical life, um, some people take a walk every morning or every evening. That's a discipline that they have. 
the disciplines that are identified as spiritual disciplines are things like having a prayer time and a quiet time, having a reflective time every day or, or a regular time period during the week to just kind of contemplate on what God is doing. What's, what might he be saying to you? Uh, reading God's word on a regular basis is a wonderful spiritual discipline because we not only learn what God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit are like, but how we're supposed to conform to their image and, and how we're supposed to grow and the things that we should be involved in. Um, Giving regularly is a wonderful discipline. I was talking about it with some guys at breakfast this morning. And and when we purposefully give out of every paycheck to God, it takes the fear of money away. We don't have to, we get to a point where we're not controlled by worldliness because we can freely offer it to God and we can be generous with our money and then pay our bills. And it creates a lifestyle that it has a lot of freedom and joy in it. In the same manner, there are corporate disciplines. We, we sing together. We pray together. We pause every week and we listen to a sermon from God's word. We serve together. We, we give. Those are all disciplines, things that we regularly do that none of them make you any more a Christian or a less of a Christian if you do them. But if it becomes part of the lifestyle, living as a Christian has more joy. It has a broader base in our life. It makes us resilient to things that just pop up. So one of the words or phrases that we use a lot at High Point is the phrase gracious striving. This also came, I don't know if it's actually in the book. I don't remember if it's in the book, but it for sure came out of that series when you preached through um, the topic of substance in Mm -hmm. church. Anyway, we use that term a lot. So Nick, this is related to personal growth and our, our growth in our faith. Can you talk about that term? Can you explain what it means and then its relationship to how we grow? Yeah. Yeah, so there's a, there's a, I mean, a couple of different ways that you could kind of come at this, right? Um, gracious striving is meant to carry two ideas that are in some ways in intention with each other, but that really fuel and feed each other. The reason why we can be godly is only because Christ has accomplished basically everything on our behalf already with his death and resurrection, the gift of his spirit and all of his promises, right? So Second Peter 1 verses 3 and following says, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. By his own glory and goodness. Through these, he's given us his very great and precious promises so that through them we may escape the corruption, um, participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. So, so it's all God, right? It's all his power, his promises, what he's done, Christ, all of that, all the knowledge and work, right? And then the very next thing is, therefore, make every effort to add to your faith, goodness to goodness, knowledge to knowledge, self-control to self-control, perseverance to perseverance, godliness to godliness, brotherly kindness to brotherly kindness to love. If you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So you see these two concepts, the everything is a gift from God. His divine power has given us everything. And then in response to that, not just in addition, but in response to it, it says, therefore make every effort. That's where we get that idea. That Everything is a gift of God. Everything is of grace. You could never save yourself. It's all a gift of of Christ. And yet, 
you are a 100% striving participant in it being formed in you. So I could tell you, Nicole, you have to be in California in 50 hours. And you could be like, I, I don't think I can do that by myself. And I said, here's a car. Like now it just got, it, that just changed things. It just got real doable. I just gave you everything you needed to fulfill what I just demanded of you. You still have to get in the car and drive it though. You got to drive it to California. And, and, and now you can do what you were called to do before you couldn't. And now you can, but you still have to do it right in the way that I've empowered you. And it's in a similar way. It's not saying none of these metaphors are exact, right? In a similar way, Jesus gives us everything we need and that should motivate us and empower us and strengthen us and make us able. And not only that, but like he, he gives us, a, he, he gives on all these different levels, a new mind for it. He does all the work to, so he takes away our guilt and our shame and all the things that would hold us back from it. He gives us redemption that we can stand in as children of God. There's all these different facets that Christians need to learn and understand. And in that grace, in that free generosity from God is where we get the motivation and the desire to stand up and be what we were meant to be and take hold of our identity and take hold of our heritage and take hold of the family line of being children of God and to be what it means to bear God's image in the world. This is stewards. And there's a nobility that drives you forward into it and that causes you to want to strive with everything that's in you to be like Christ. And so that, that distinguishes that spirituality should be distinguished from moralism. If you're a good person, then God will love you and help you. That's not what we're saying. Or a therapeutic libertinism where it's like, well, God should be there and make my life good. And I'm just going to do what I like. And he'll, God will just have to like help or something. No, God is gracious and he calls you to a truth, but his, he's, his doing is always preceding your doing and you're always responding to him. That's why Ephesians 5 talks about the church as the bride of Christ, the white, like the, it's, it's a feminine role. We are responding to him where our submission is out of an inspiration and a calling and responding to his right authority. Does that make sense? So that's kind of how I'd frame that. Because if the striving isn't gracious, it will destroy you. But if you receive grace and it doesn't cause you to strive, you have not been transformed and touched by grace. You haven't been regenerated by it. Mm-hmm. All right. There's one last part of the Christian life that we're going to talk about, which is spiritual gifts. So, Mike, what are spiritual gifts? And um, does every Christian have a spiritual gift? Yeah, spiritual gifts are the gifts that God gives every believer. It says that every believer has a gift from God to participate in the family of God. And so in the same manner that you have chores at home, you may be like, well, I'm not gifted at taking out the garbage, but I still have to do it. It's doing things that allow the completion of the ministry of, of any body of Christ. And so, um, as I mentioned earlier, there are gifts of leadership. There are gifts of administration. There are gifts of teaching. There are gifts of just serving. There are gifts of uh, hospitality. Then there are some specific gifts that it talks about in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 that are gifts of the Holy Spirit that he uses through people and those are things like gift of wisdom or knowledge or healing. Um, 
And those are for a specific moment that the Holy Spirit gives that gift through somebody to do something that God specifically wants to do in their life. And those are a little bit different than just the gifts of the Spirit. And so in the lists that are in the Bible, and Peter and Romans and Corinthians, those are just not meant to be a comprehensive list. But it just is showing us that there are a myriad of things that God places in our lives that are meant to be used in the body of Christ and for God's glory. And so, um, Nick, is there anything you'd like to add to this topic? There's a, there's, there's a couple of places in the New Testament that give lists of gifts, but they're not identical. They overlap and neither none of them are complete. And so there is no complete list of all the spiritual gifts in the Bible. The spiritual gifts are the gifts given by the Spirit, just as he determines, that are used for the end of building up the church. Anything that fits that definition is a gift from God that is the Spirit. The, the medieval theologians distinguished between the supernatural virtues and the natural virtues, right? The four pagan virtues, were that, like prudence, courage, those kinds of virtues were thought as natural in faith, hope, and love. The cardinal supernatural virtues were thought of as spiritual. And gifts are kind of like that. Some of the gifts seem utterly natural, like that they're not inherently supernatural, but, there's, but they only really function with the deeper gift of faith, hope, and love operating inside of them. So administration becomes a supernatural when it is operative through faith, hope, and love. Does that make sense? And, and some of them just seem more fundamentally spiritual, like like self-sacrificial love is always just inherently spiritual. And, and some things like word of knowledge or prophecy are always kind of like inherently spiritual. But what the Bible teaches is that every gift is a gift of the Spirit, whether it seems more natural or not. And not I'm giving a special, some kind of special honor to the more inherently supernatural gifts is, is fundamental to being spiritual. To give, to act like this overtly spiritual ones are better is being unspiritual because it's not believing the teaching of the spirit about the spiritual gifts in like 1 Corinthians 12 and other places. And if we can get that straight, we can embrace what are sometimes called charismatic gifts, which is a redundancy because charisma means a gift of grace, right? Um, We can embrace those like prophecy or speaking in tongues or some of these other gifts that are a little weirder and more supernaturally-ish. But we also can embrace all the gifts and none of them have to mess with us. And we can, we can accept a certain diversity in the gift of God. So can you talk a little bit about how does God, how God uses these gifts to build up one body? How are they used for that purpose? Yeah. So um, what first is to recognize what we just said, that in first Corinthians, it says the same spirit gives all these gifts. The Holy spirit gives gifts to everybody just as he determines. And it's that same spirit that gives the gifts to everybody. Right. And it also argues in that chapter that part of what happens is, is that we, we, when one part of the body hurts, all the other ones hurt with it. And when one rejoices, they all rejoice with it. That there's an, there's an interconnectedness of concern relative to these gifts and how we use them. That's really important. We're also called to use them in a way that feeds into and supports unity. So some of the more supernaturalish sounding gifts are regulated in the Bible in the ways other gifts aren't. So there's no regulation on the gift of administration in the Bible. But the gift of speaking in tongues and the gift of prophecy are heavily regulated in the Bible in 1 Corinthians 14, for example. Does that make sense? So in order to create unity. 
And so in Ephesians chapter, I can't think of it's three or four, I think it's four, where it talks about the whole body being bound together and tied together into one body. One of the ways that happens is through the gifts God gives, especially people who are involved in spiritual leadership, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Mm-hmm. It says that they are the sinews, like the, our tendons, holding the body together and make, helping it become one unified body. So responding to the people who are in leadership um, and, and being nourished by the utilization of their gifts also brings unity to the body. So having the right attitude, not feeling inferior based on your own gifts, everybody using their gifts with the same kind of gracious striving and being submissive to and, and open to the use of our leaders and their gifts that God has given to bring us all together are all really fundamental to that. And and lastly, what I said, not misusing the gifts. Gifts that are regulated in scripture should be used according to those regulations so that in that humility, those gifts can nourish the body rather than hurt it. Um, I think that that's about all that we have in here to talk through. And so, Nick, is there any last thought you want to say about specifically the Christian life and maybe yeah. even how all these fit together? Really just, okay, really, I just want to say one negative thing, which is in this, we were not talking about how one is saved. We're not, we are not talking about the saving work of the gospel and how it is all of grace as a response to the word of Christ, his death and resurrection for our justification by believing in Christ alone and by faith alone. God does the miraculous work of forgiveness, of pardon, of regeneration, of giving us his spirit, that the transactional beginning to our salvation that comes by faith alone. We didn't discuss the dynamics of that gospel in this podcast very much. We discussed it as it functions in our pursuit of God and in our growth in Christ and not walking with the spirit. But we didn't, we didn't clarify how we are saved by grace alone through faith alone by the word of Christ in the gospel because of his death and resurrection alone when we talk about understanding the gospel. And so if you're like, well, where was the gospel and like how to be saved and all that in this talk? And the, the answer is it just wasn't specifically what we were talking about. But what we were, right. what we were talking about- more to you here that these works that we participate in are your salvation. I, both ends of those mm-hmm. are not what we're talking about. Right. Right, but but what we are what we are trying to teach people at High Point as a as like a Protestant church is that there is no dichotomy between believing in salvation by faith alone and that works of love are your salvation because you aren't saved by those works, but God saving you is making that, and it's so it, so part of part of experiencing salvation is experiencing these works of love that God also demands. And it creates this internal godliness. And, and scripture says, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. That is, you're not saved without this stuff. Grace must produce it, but it's not what saves you. The thing that creates your salvation is the miraculous grace of God that he gives freely when you believe the word of Christ and you put your faith in his death and resurrection for you. And so I just want to make sure and nobody listens to this and goes, well, this sounds like a church that only cares about like holiness and like, you know, being, doing good stuff. And like, I I didn't hear the gospel. And the answer is hopefully you did hear the implication of the gospel and that the heart of the gospel was all through what we said, but the gospel that saves sinners who are not, do not belong to Christ already is not lost on us and is preached by us constantly. Um, So don't, that just wasn't the topic. And I don't want you to think that that's minimized among us at all. It is the heart of our message and one that we're trying to teach all people. Mm -hmm. 
Great. Well, thank you everyone for listening. Thanks to both Mike and Nick for um, talking through these topics. And we hope that you, this is helpful and that you are able to discuss all of this really well at your next session. God bless you guys. Bye-bye.